All right, and my thing just came up. MP3 Skype recorder is on, so this is one, we definitely want to have a backup on. Yeah, 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 definitely. Hi, Chuck. It's Rob. If we could just recreate everything all yeah. over again. I want to get this on here. Chuck Dixon has shared contact details with Rob Myers. Hello, Woo-hoo. sir. He says, hey. <laughs> it's the beginning of a beautiful bromance. Yeah. yeah. Or, hey, Rob, whatever happened to that Chuck Dixon interview? Yeah, I screwed that one up so bad, so we're (laughs) just not going to air it. Chuck (laughs) is great friends with Ryan and Terrence, and I have been kicked off my own show again. (laughs) When the 1-800-Flowers truck arrives at his door with, like, (laughs) these are from Rob. We love you. (laughs) You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. You like the Drake? I love the Drake. What about the Drake? Screw the Drake. I love the Drake. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. This podcast will take a chronological look at the third Robin, Tim Drake. We will be looking at the classic 90s 2000 Robin series and other notable comics with Tim in that era, while also simultaneously taking a look at Tim in the modern era as Red Robin in the pages of DC Comics, plus other Robin and Batman happenings in the world. So sit back, relax, and find out why everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. Got to love the Drake. I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. This podcast is also sponsored by the BatmanPodcastNetwork.com, which is a sister site to Batman on Film. Some great guys over there have added us to their list of podcasts as well. You can get a hold of us a few different ways at Facebook.com slash Everyone Loves the Drake. We are also on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. You can email into the show and we'll read your emails on the air at Robin ELTD Podcast at Yahoo.com. And also over at YouTube in the search engine, type in Robin Everyone Loves the Drake podcast. And Terrence is finishing up some stuff with uh, Knight's End, or excuse me, Knight's Quest over there. Welcome to episode 51. This is an edit into the episode that you're getting ready to uh, listen to. Um, at the time that we were recording it, um, the nerves might have got a little best of me in the <laughs> intro, and I didn't uh, give a proper uh, intro into the episode you're uh, getting ready uh, to listen to. There was a you know a lot going on, like hey Rob, let's not screw this thing <laughs> this thing up. So uh, Terrence and Ryan are on the show, which you'll get to hear in just a little bit. And of course, if you're clicking on this episode, you know that Chuck Dixon uh, is our special guest on here. And uh, there are some bucket list uh, ideas that I've had for the show thinking, okay, it'd be really cool to make 10 episodes and thinking if anybody's even going to be listening past, you know, five and the podcast starting to uh, gain some feet and some traction, you know, here we are in uh, 50, now I can say 50 plus the 51st episode of the show. And that means uh, so much to the three of us. You, the listeners out there have taken time to listen to the show and uh, I had 
an email a while back from someone that had asked if we were going to do something special uh, for episode uh, 50. And I had said at the time, yeah, you know, I've, I've got an idea and we were thinking of doing this show about some of our favorite Robin stories that aren't Tim Drake, since the show is focusing on Tim Drake. Uh, we thought we'd talk about the other Robins and kind of, you know, what Robin means to us and all those type of things. So we were kind of working on that and... While we were doing that, I was kind of toying with the idea of like, I wonder if I could get a hold of someone for the podcast, being a writer, an artist, or creator. And it was kind of like one of those bucket list ideas, uh, like I was saying I had for the show of like, man, it'd be really cool to try and interview someone connected with the Robin series. And obviously, you know, Chuck Dixon wrote the first 100 issues of the Robin series, not only that of Robin, but, you know, Catwoman and Nightwing, Detective Comics, and you have a list goes on and on and on. Just Google Chuck Dixon in the Wikipedia page, you could just see the vast list of stuff, not only for DC, but just all the different companies that he's worked for and his creator-owned book and uh, the novels that he's written. This show doesn't happen without Chuck Dixon having written such a great first, you know, giant run of the Robin series. So I had sent out an email through Facebook and then uh, lo and behold, I get a reply back that says, you know, email. I mean, there's Chuck Dixon's email. So over the course of the last um, couple weeks, we've been uh, planning this episode together. So I'm very happy and very proud to uh, bring this episode to you guys. This is our thank you to everyone that has listened to the show. And we've got some cool things coming up in the in the future. So it goes without saying... Welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake Comic Podcast, and welcome to the show. Celebratory episode for hitting 50 episodes, which I'm, I still can't believe we hit 50. I just remember thinking, oh, it'll be great if, if I hit 10. And uh, here we are at 50. Uh, joining us on this podcast, as always, is Terrence. How are you doing this afternoon, sir? 
I'm doing great. Let's let's rock and roll. Excellent. And Ryan is here as well. Yes, I'm here, and I'm excited about this episode. Yeah, it's just a it's just a normal episode. It goes without saying that this podcast is obviously about Tim Drake and uh, the world that he inhabits. Uh, this book, now that we've are in the body of the Robin series, uh, this book has a constant writer for the first 100 issues and pretty much everybody in the Batman community uh, has read Batman, Robin, Detective, uh, Batgirl, Catwoman, and the list goes on and on of the other creations not only inside of the Batman universe but going into Marvel, IDW, Dark Horse. Uh, joining us on this episode is Mr. Chuck Dixon. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing fantastic. Again, uh, thanks for joining us on this show and being part of our uh, 50 episodes. I know there's a lot of people uh, that follow the show that uh, kind of thought I was playing uh, a little game on them, saying, "Are you really going to have Chuck Dixon on the show?" So it's it's great that you're <laughs> it's great that you're here. I'm such, I'm such a hard get. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool as we'll get uh, in through the interview that you'll be returning to DC Comics and uh, writing a little character, I believe it's the character's Bane, if I if I hear that uh, correctly as I'm seeing things out there. One of the uh, first questions I kind of wanted to uh, ask you, as, you're, as the Robin book is uh, happening in the uh, miniseries through Robin 1, 2, and uh, Cry of the Huntress eventually, um, how did you get the call or the start to, to write the uh, Robin series? Uh, kind of like what were the events that kind of took place uh, to get that, did you know that you were going to be writing it, or did you kind of put your name uh, out there to write the uh, Robin series? No, I, I had taken a couple of tentative runs at DC just to do any character there. You know, I was a freelancer looking for work. You know, trying to pad my portfolio, mm-hmm. and um, and I just kind of gave up. I, I wasn't getting anywhere at DC, even though you know people there were friendly, and I, I, I knew people there. Dick Giordano was running the place, you know, running editorial at the time, and. Um, and then out of the blue, like, I got this call from Denny O'Neill, and uh, he was interested in having me try out for this Robin miniseries they were planning. And, and I mean, I had run at DC, but I had never in my wildest dreams thought about Batman. I mean, I never sought out Denny O'Neill to try to get a Batman assignment. That's like something, you know, uh, really needed an invitation for. Mm-hmm. you got to prove yourself first. So he invited me in to robin and because of my work on a, a title called airboy i have been doing an eclipse mm-hmm. and uh he liked the way that i wrote a younger character he thought that okay. uh, i made airboy believable so i went in and interviewed i never say yes to a job immediately you know i want to make sure i can contribute and i understand what they want from me and and even after talking well no i was kind of i wasn't sure i wanted to do it even though it was a huge <laughs> offer i wasn't sure i would be able to contribute much <laughs> And then I and I told this to Denny, you know, that Robin really wasn't my favorite character, any Robin. And after he got done explaining Robin's importance in the Batman universe, then I saw what he wanted, and and I got really interested, and I and I, I, I liked the challenge of, and I accepted the job. And from there, you know, he just kept giving me work, and his assistant editors kept giving me work, and you know, I got to a hundred issues on Robin. <laughs> uh, that was. Uh... Uh, the second part of the question, as the Robin miniseries kind of goes by, 
I know like for the three of us as kind of they were coming out going, oh, it'd be great to see a Robin, you know, full-blown series. <laughs> was it always like, let's see how Robin 1 does, and then because of its popularity, Robin 2 happens? Was the idea of a series kind of in the works, or was it like, wow, these three have done so well that the Robin series is is inevitable? Well, I, I, I mean, I think they're they're initially they told me that the first Robin miniseries, I said, do you have any idea of what are your expectations in sales? And they said that they thought it would, you know, um, they had done something with Catwoman previously, and they thought it would sell at least as well as that. Mm-hmm. But, of course, it, it, it ended up selling ten times what that sold. So they were immediately talking <laughs> about a, a monthly. And, and I kept saying, well, let's try another miniseries, you know. And the second miniseries was even more popular. Then they really started bearing down on me. Let's do a Robin miniseries. And I was the one that kept stalling it. I said, <laughs> we really don't have it set up for a miniseries. He doesn't have his own supporting cast. You know, we would have we would be burdened in the first issues of the monthly, you know, building this world for him. Let's do one more miniseries to build a world for him. And that's what we did. And, and in the third miniseries, you know, there's a lot about Ariana mm-hmm. and Hudson, you know, all of his other pals. So we set up his his life as Tim Drake a little bit more than we had previously. And then I was comfortable starting a miniseries. And then, of course, or a monthly. And then when the monthly starts, of course, it's perfect. He's being kicked out of the back mm-hmm. cave by, by Azrael. <laughs> so, so that was the yeah. absolutely perfect lead-in. So, you know, I'm glad I delayed um, the start of it so that it didn't just seem like a contrivance. You know, the Robin ongoing grows out of, you know, the larger arc of Nightfall and Night Quest and all the rest of it. Yeah, those were yeah. awesome. As a larger as a larger point to that, uh, we've covered all these books on the podcast. The time was taken to establish Tim Drake as well in the pages of uh, Detective and Batman over at, at least a year. Like, they didn't just introduce uh, Tim Drake in one story and, okay, he's Robin. They took their time, and it's cool to see you do the same with, uh, with the ongoing series, too. Yeah, well, Danny was always surprised when I would turn down work. Or one of the lay work. <laughs> he was used to the, the hungry freelancer just ah, give me that work. I want those pages. Give me that money. And uh, I was always the one saying no because at one point, um, following Nightfall, they wanted to do the three core Batman titles in arcs, like monthly arcs, where one oh. writer would write all three books. And I oh. said no. I said no. There's no way. I, I want to continue on Detective only. And he says, Do you realize how much royalties you're leaving on the table because you won't be writing? the Batman title. And I said, I don't care. I just want to do what I'm doing on detective. I think this is a terrible idea. So we didn't do it because I, I just wouldn't play. Uh, that was uh, one question I had is what, what's the bigger book is as far as detective or Batman. Uh, when somebody says, okay, you've got one of the two books. Is Batman the quote unquote bigger book or is it? Detective? It's the bigger seller. It always has been um, to me. Tech detective is the most prestigious because it's been around the longest well, it's no longer around, but but it, it was the longest-running book. I mean, that meant a lot to me, and it meant a lot to Graham Nolan when he came on the book, that we were on the oldest wow. Batman title. Gotcha. And the, um, but Batman, um, Scott Peterson once dug up old sales records from the 50s to show that Detective always undersold Batman. Wow. Um, back when Batman was selling like a million and a half copies a month, you know, Detective was doing about 800,000. You know, it was always wow. leading behind, which is, you know, I don't understand that, but that's the way it is. Yeah, that's so crazy. They even try to hide Detective, the logo for a while yeah. when you're writing it, and have Batman and Detective Comics really small. 
Uh, I wanted to ask you because I'm I'm 42 and I well I was about the same age as Tim Drake when he first came out and somehow he stayed young and I've gotten old. I don't know how that works, but um, <laughs> it. He, when I would read it as someone of his age, it, it spoke so much to me. Like it, he sounded like I sounded and my friend sounded. It seemed so real and authentic. And a lot of um, sometimes you read young characters when you're young and it just sounds like old guys trying to sound young and hip. And Tim Drake always sounded so authentic. And same thing with your writing of uh, Connor Hawk in Green Arrow. I, that character appealed to me so much, even though my life growing up in the suburbs couldn't have been any different than his life it, it it had such an appeal and i wonder where did you like find the voice to write a younger character like that and keep it like realistic and and not sound like some you know some old guys trying to sound hip well the old guy trying to sound hip is the thing i tried to avoid i didn't want to do the stan lee thing where you know peter parker sounded like a las mm-hmm. vegas lounge lizard from the early 60s yeah uh, yeah <laughs> you know even in the 70s he sounded you know he sounded like he was hanging out with dean martin or something um, <laughs> yeah. so i avoided any as much slang as i could um you know i didn't i didn't i consciously avoided slang i mean maybe some slipped in uh but i, I consciously avoided it. i consciously avoided pop culture references anything that would date it anything that like five years later just wouldn't sound right and I just tried to remember the way that, you know, I talked when I was a kid. You know, you're, you're a little, you're, you're very much more unguarded as a kid. Uh, you're very much more likely to say exactly what's on your mind. And, uh, so I just, you know, tried to dig into that, you know, cause like you said, you know, if you try to make it sound hip and Tim Drake wasn't trying to be hip and neither one of any of his friends, they were all nerds. So yeah, I understood and that, how they talk, you know. <laughs> yeah, so did I. <laughs> and, and, you know, the awkwardness and all the rest. And I just tried to clue into that because, you know, at the, you know, teenagers have been awkward like that since the beginning of time. I mean, you know, yeah. so, you know, they were probably standing around in the streets of ancient Rome, not sure what to say to a girl, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so, you know, I just, I just went for that universal, you know, youth thing. And if it sounded like, the voice in your head, then my job was accomplished, you know? Um, but that's the, that's something I put a lot of thought into. It's not hard. It comes pretty easy to me, but put a thought into what, what's the voice of this character? What voice is the reader going to hear in their head? Well, it, it worked fabulously. And I think the thing that I really like, how you said you didn't avoided slang and things like that is now going back 25 years later and reading it. It's still fresh. It's still, you know, it doesn't sound, seem dated it's like you said the the universal things of a teenager goes through i think the only time we um nitpicked something dated was uh robin had a notebook he was writing and he doodled some um bands that he liked and one was third base and we were like third base what happened (laughs) and i might have been the artist putting that in but i mean that is just the smallest little nitpick for you know that that was the artist putting that in because i tell you i don't even know who third base are i mean i would i would have i mean in fact when i saw the art i probably thought he made it up uh so that that was my thing if you were going to make a pop culture reference it had to be something within the DCU, you know, yeah. that we had already created or established. Because I, I certainly established enough phony pop reference within within Tim Drake's world that he would reference. Yeah, I used to love that too. In your Green Lantern, I think it was Sun Dollar Coffee and all, all those little things. And then I think one was O'Shaughnessy's Bar and stuff. So yeah, those were great. So yeah, the one, the one I'm proudest of is the pop singer Normandy Shields. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So, 
Chuck, you were, I mean, you were able to come in and be a big part of the formative, you know, years of creating Tim Drake as a character, although he was established in a few stories prior. So I'm, I'm just kind of wondering how much cue you took from that or editorial feedback or how much you got to put your own personal stamp on this is what Tim Drake is as a character, you know, moving forward through all the, you know, first hundred issues or so that you did on the solo series. Well, well, Alan Grant building on what, you know, Marv Wolfman had created with the character. I mm-hmm. mean, that was my guideline. You know, I just did what he did. Um, and I just doubled down on everything that, that his, his Tim Drake. Well, and, and also my directive from, from Denny was basically I asked Denny, I said, for, for this character to succeed, I need to know why you think Jason Todd failed. Mm. And, and, mm. and he was very candid. He said, Jason Todd just got away from us. And that happens with characters. And he said, even when we tried, even when the reboot was tried, he simply got away from the creators. Right. Um, that they were trying to create a character that eventually, ultimately, the readers could not relate to. Because your average comic book reader is not out there stealing cars. Uh, your average comic creator or reader would not talk back to Batman. You know, um, so he said that, you know, Tim Drake needs to be the opposite of that. And so he's not, Tim Drake's not a, you know, a robot. He's not just doing whatever Batman says without questioning it, but he is never, he was never openly defiant. He's also never all that cocksure of himself, which I liked because it made a direct, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, comparison to Dick Grayson. Who is a natural? Who is cocksure of himself and is super confident because he's earned it. That's who he is. Tim Drake was never that. And, and I told Denny, I said, I want Tim Drake to be the Robin that if he realizes he's in over the head, his head, he'll call the cops. <laughs> Something Batman and Robin would never have done before. But yeah. he'll, he's hmm. a sensible guy. He's not going to, you know, jump in um, where angels fear to tread, knowing he'll die just to make some sort of heroic statement. You know, he'll call nine one one. And of course, I, s- I said, but 911 will never arrive in time. And of course, Robin will always have to save the day. He'll always have <laughs> yeah. to make sacrifice. Hmm. I said, you know, he's not a coward, but he's also not a dope. So, then <laughs> so he said, you know, just run with that. Uh, one of the big things that we've been, you know, starting clear back from uh, the year three series, and like I said, we're we're just getting ready to complete the uh, uh, the night's end run of the story um, in one of the uh, series of books where. You know, Azrael's in the big, huge, armored bat suit, and Bruce is entering the bat cave for the first time after the bat being broken. We were talking about how the dynamic of Bruce and Tim had turned, where Tim can look over at Bruce and realize he's not up to the speed that he needs to be, and Tim turns right around for one of the first times on his own and takes after Azrael, leaving Bruce in the dust, and that was... A really cool thing being a Robin Tim Drake fan to, like Terrence said, grow up with the character and finally realize that Tim Tim is the hero he has known he's needed to be and, you know, is heading, you know, after Azrael. Um, getting into one of our, our next books we'll probably d- discuss later is at the end of Night's End, there was that awkward um, conclusion of uh, the Robin uh, and Batman going out on their, you know, Batman's first night, or Bruce Wayne's first night being Batman. And I remember thinking, is is Bruce going to stay being Batman? It was just kind of that weird ending. Was that kind of uh, planned, that, that dynamic that Dick Grayson would eventually 
take over? Because that's a discussion we've had on the show that uh, we have heard that DC really didn't want to let um, – you know, Dick Grayson become Batman because the Wolfman and Perez were using him over in the Titans run. Uh, did that affect you guys at all in the in detective and uh, doing the night's end? Is that why prodigal kind of came around? Well, from the beginning, the very first time that Denny presented this thing to us and it was presented to us, as like a two, three year continuity. I mean, the mm-hmm. whole thing was laid out in general terms, nightfall in specific terms, what would follow in, 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 um, more general terms, but but Denny's stated goal was we're going to bring Dick Grayson back into the Bat universe, oh. you know, and and so this was planned from the beginning, but it took a while because, and I don't understand all of it, you know. Apparently, back in the seventies, <laughs> there were some <laughs> deals made and promises made, put down on paper, and you know, fiefdoms were divided, <laughs> and Robin sort of or Dick Grayson sort of left the Batman universe for the Teen Titans universe. So, um, you know, backroom things had to be settled that I wasn't privy to, and I have no idea how any of that worked. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but Denny wrestled Dick Grayson back into the Bat Universe, um, and 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 that was, I mean, the way Nightfall worked out. I mean, I think we'll all agree, Nightfall is like the biggest freaking most awesome Batman epic ever. <laughs> I mean, yeah, oh, yeah, I yeah, yeah for sure. That. Yeah. I'm not just saying it because it was part of it. I'm saying that because I'm just glad I was part of it. I'm just saying it yeah. because what what, the, what they set up, you know, and and how beautifully it all worked out for every single character. Every character had this most incredible arc that left yes. them changed forever at the end of it all. And and to yeah. bring Tim Drake into the middle of it, and you know, as you say, he grew as a character. He grew as a character because of the events of Nightfall, and 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 it all worked out in a perfect dramatic sense, and and everything else. I mean. Um, it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing to be a part of, and uh, but like I say, you know, bringing Dick Grayson back into the Batman crowd, well, that was planned from the beginning. We, Danny wasn't sure he could do it, but I could see by the look on his face he was going to get it done. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It makes it makes me think like um. So not only did all the main characters in in Nightfall have a giant life changing arc, which to me, yeah, I totally agree. That's one of the reasons why I keep going back to it. But you had the two big major characters that you had created for Nightfall were Bane and Azrael. And so I kind of, before we get into Bane, because I know you're a big part of that, I'd, I'd kind of like to pick your brain a little bit on Azrael and get your thoughts on Jean-Paul and, you know, what your thoughts were uh, writing the issues you did as him as Batman and uh, kind of what you thought about the character after Nightfall when Denny did the his 100-issue run on, on the solo Azrael series, too. Well, um, Azrael is such a Denny character. You know, um, he's, you know, he's a bit of a jerk, uh, which was built in, and he's flawed, and he has this troubled past that he's never going to get around. He tries to redeem himself. I remember, um, at one of the Bat Summits, I, I asked Denny if he was a big fan of the, of the TV Western Have Gun Will Travel. And he said he was. He said, I never missed an episode. I said, I can tell. I said, because there's a lot of paladin in Azrael. And he was, he just got this look on his face and said, <laughs> you know what? I never thought of it, but you're right. You know? wow. I said, yeah. So I said, paladin is such a Denny character. And um, he said, I never thought of it that way. I said, oh, I just assumed you would watch a show with a big influence. So um, I didn't like Azrael from the beginning, but of course you weren't supposed to like him. And mm-hmm. I was the main, uh, the main guy at our summits saying, you know, we got to be careful 
we've got to make sure the readers don't like this guy. Because a lot of fans out there think that the kind of Batman he's going to be is the way Batman should be. You know, he should kill the Joker. You know, he shouldn't take any crap. He should be more Harry Callahan than, than, mm. than Batman. So we have to be careful to make sure that he comes off as an unlikable, effete jerk. So the mm-hmm. readers don't like him. And we once and forever answer that question, why isn't Batman lethal? You know, why isn't Batman like more like Frank Castle? And we have. I, I, and that question simply never comes up anymore you know, since Nightfall. Yeah. And, but before that, it was a constant question. You know, why does Batman need Robin? Why isn't Batman just out there gunning the bad guys down? And so um, ultimately, you know, we achieved that. We achieved it a little better than we wished because the sales really went down <laughs> when he took over. Okay. <laughs> See, that's interesting. So did Nightfall have this like finite end, or did you guys plan on a little bit longer in that middle night, night quest period, or was it kind of cut short because of the sales to wrap it all up? Yeah, we might. We, we, the plan was to go a little bit longer. Because okay. Denny, Denny said, I, I don't want this to be, oh, you know, Superman died, but everybody knows he's going to be back. You know? Sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we want to we want to ask we want to actually string the readers along long enough to convince them that wow maybe Bruce Wayne never will be back because you know we had Kyle Rayner and other characters who had replaced iconic characters mm-hmm. and and uh, he said you know let's try to convince them so it doesn't look like a cynical stunt he always called it a stunt uh, and he didn't yeah. like them he didn't like stunts he said well if we're going to do one let's do one right let's do one big let's do one that at least tries to convince them that we're serious about this and you know. Yeah. And it went on long. It was going to go on a little longer, but the sales started to decline, and we thought, well, we got it. We got to put an end to yeah. this. Well, did you get all the major beats in that that you intended, or were there any? Oh like, yeah, kind of. Yeah, okay. we, we got everything in. I mean, it was just going to be like this interstitial period where it was just simply, you know, it was simply asbats every month, you know, in in just normal yeah. Batman adventures that weren't moving the Nightfall, that, that what weren't moving the major storyline. They were just arcs. And uh, but we we abandoned that idea. I gotcha. But but then after Nightfall, I do find it interesting that Azrael wasn't. It was Azrael was uh, a little bit redeemable, and it, the whole redemption of him is kind of a a question that kind of gets explored in the whole hundred issue series that he has. But I, yeah. I was it was it conscious to not actually have him cross the line enough to put him into the Frank Castle Punisher territory so you could kind of still explore him as an antihero after Nightfall? Yeah, I mean, he's kind of, you know, he, he kind of winds up Jason Bourne, like it wasn't my fault. You know, he could blame yeah, others. The system. Just, which is also so Denny. <laughs> <laughs> Denny and I have, like, completely polar opposite worldviews, which I think is why we could work together so well mm-hmm. and... and, and Work was always interesting because we're both pulling in two opposite directions, and uh, but yeah, I think it. You know, you got to where Azrael, like you know, like Bane, you know, it isn't my fault. You know, I was innocent. I didn't want to do any of this. So uh, and then, uh, you know, so so you know, they built the hundred issue run out of that. You know, so yeah. he's an antihero, still an antihero, yeah. but he's not he's not a complete jerk anymore. Yeah, he's not. He's not. He's not. You know, pushing Robin around and stuff. I mean, that was the last <laughs> right. Of the <laughs> right. And we knew exactly. that. But he started pushing Robin around. It's like, ah, oh, this guy's toast. <laughs> you know, personally, I, I would have had. I would have had a bigger confrontation between Batman and Azrael because I told Danny, I said, you got to have Batman beat the living daylights out of this guy. He really, the, the reader, <laughs> and that didn't really happen. You know, he even called yeah. me and said, you know, I'm in the middle of, and that never happened. Then he never, 
ever called me when he was in the middle of the story. And he wow. called me on a weekend, which was like, first of all, then he never called me. He would always have someone else call. <laughs> and then he, they put him on the phone. It was like Hollywood. And he called me on a Saturday. You know, I'm in the middle of this thing. What would you do? And I said, man, I, I said, Thing versus the Hulk, man. I just go nuts. <laughs> I would, uh, I said, I would have nothing left standing in the Batcave when they were done. And he just beats oh, the living crap out of him. It leaves him alive because <laughs> it's Batman, but, but he didn't want to go there. <laughs> oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, that makes me think, like, the, the, those big confrontations, uh, were you glad to be able to – well, so then one of my favorite storylines apart from Nightfall is later on when you get to, like, uh, Legacy. And Bane comes back in that story, and that kind of – finally, that lets you give the actually the actual rematch of Bruce Wayne versus Bane. Um, were you glad that that was able to happen, and were you disappointed? Pointed that it really didn't get resolved, and I thought for me it was like, well, huh, you know, Bruce Wayne's not actually the person that gets to defeat Bane, but then again, Nightfall really wasn't about that. It was more about, like you said, the question of a killer and who is Batman. But uh, but were you glad to see Bruce actually get to Bane later on? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it it. I mean, yeah, I mean, I love Batman. You know, you can't have you can't leave that that way. That you know, he really got yeah. His- ass kicked by this guy and then we never get to see anything back i mean and i would put in little little kind of uh revenge things like you know at one point we see bane when he's been off venom for a while and he's like basically packed on like you know 200 pounds of fat things like that (laughs) that's that's you know that's kind of a revenge and it kind of points the finger at you know hey it was venom you know that 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 that, that, Mm. that made the edge and then um and then of course in legacy bane doesn't get the time to prepare like he did for Nightfall. He doesn't get the time to, to batter. Right. So it's a more level playing field. It, it's it's Batman, you know, primo Batman. Uh, the guy that yeah. Bane would never be because he's yeah, Batman. Exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, I was well, happy happy with you know how that resolved and and also the fact that it still leaves the question. You know, are they evenly matched? You know, if they meet mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was one of my favorite resolutions. Uh, of that fight too in Legacy, that was that was absolutely pitch perfect to me. So that was great. And um, did you have a follow up, Ryan, or or no? You guys go in. Okay. So my question, um, kind of jumping back to what you were talking about a couple minutes ago, that Robin issue one of the the monthly series that to me is the greatest opening of any comic series of all time. Just you know, Robin has got you know Batman's like I don't know what you call those like razor blade fingers around his throat and it's like right off with a, a confrontation i love that so much and then um we were when we reviewed issue number one there was a character in there shotgun smith and i remember <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah. i'm yeah. glad you brought that up <laughs> yeah i remember when i read it like as a a youngster back in the 90s thinking oh chuck must have invented this guy to be sort of like robin's harvey bullock and then as we were reviewing it we looked it up so where's this guy from and we found that he actually appeared in two issues back in the 70s so we hunted down those issues on ebay and and just had a blast you know just yeah reading them and seeing how comics have changed and where they came from and i i was wondering about shotgun smith was that a character that you had read back in the 70s and said someday i'm bringing him back or did you kind of maybe peruse old comics to try to pull stuff into the 90s well I, I i read those issues when they came out and they were by frank robbins who is probably yes. the most un, under appreciated batman creator of everyone who's ever created batman yeah. everybody forgets frank yes. robbins and he created yeah. man bat you know yeah um, 
and uh, those issues came out when um, uh, French Connection was big at the box office, and I think that it's an obvious direct attempt to create Popeye Doyle, create this sort of abrasive cop, um, and and put him in you know in the Batman universe. And I, I thought he was so cool. I just love the shotgun; it's so outrageous that this guy yeah. has a completely <laughs> non-standard police weapon. That's why I made him a county sheriff deputy in uh, in Robin because I thought there's no, no police department in the world would allow a guy to carry a solo shotgun. <laughs> yeah, and you, you use them again in uh, Gordon's Law miniseries, and that's one of my favorite miniseries, so thank you so much for bringing him back, because that's just been a joy. No, uh, he was, I, I love them, and, you know, he was, uh, you know, sometimes adversary, sometimes ally of Robin, you know, and, and I just I just kind of kept up the way Rob, uh, Frank Robbins would have him talk, you know, just that sort is... of just an abrasive, just, the, you know, the last <laughs> cop you want to meet. Yeah, I yeah. love when we loved that because we read it and we loved that character so much, and it was really cool for us to see somebody that you know to see you care about the the history and legacy of the comics, and to be able to pull a character that was only in a couple issues back in the seventies and just reuse him again like that, and that's something that you can only really do consistently like that in comics, and I we just were super fascinated by that, so that was awesome, and uh, <laughs> we. We had been, after we would uh, read the issues, we would go back and read the letters column and then read the letters column kind of following up and hearing some of you people, some of you guys take jabs at uh, the readers would say, you know, why is it sounded like, you know, this 70s comic, you know, tough guy. And it it just made us laugh. And it just felt like you guys took that and like, oh, you guys have a problem with that? Well, we're going to give you more of it the next issue. And then yes. seeing Shotgun come in, we were just laughing on the show of going, I think they're doing this on purpose, which just made it even greater. So um, the, the letters column, you know, being you know, 16 years old when these came out and now I'm reading them now, like I wasn't getting it. And now that I am, so I just wonder if you can kind of maybe elaborate on the letters column and, you know, those type of things that uh, uh, you would get. There was even one. I don't know if Ryan or Terrence, you wanted to uh, take the question. You do it. Do it. <laughs> you want me to do it? Well, no, well there was ahead. one we had read that it was the, the person who wrote the letter used a female name. We're not sure if it was a female or just some like old guy <laughs> pretending. But he asked for or she asked for, I should say, more scenes of Tim Drake coming out of the shower or in the shower. And then in that <laughs> issue, there was a scene of him coming out of the shower. And we're like, I wonder if they put that in there because of the letter column. I, I don't think so. It's probably just we probably chose the letter. Because okay. it was in the issue, but <laughs> I mean, we would, I, they would, the the letters column was different. I mean, we're never going back to that, obviously, because right. we have the snake yeah. called the internet, right? Uh, but you know, you would get the letters, and the letters had to be respectful. You know, we never got nasty hate letters like you get comments on the internet because they wanted to get see their letter published, mm -hmm. and um, you would develop a sort of strange long term relationship with letter writers because so often <clears throat> it was the same people writing again and again. Yeah, and um, and I would get all the letters. They would send them all to me, and a lot of times I would respond directly to people if they if they wanted a direct response or answer their question directly. If there wasn't room in the letters column, but uh, we took all that very seriously. We really took the letters columns very seriously, uh, mm -hmm. and I think that day's over because now you don't even want to look at comment sections. No. Yeah, it's it's kind of sad because you know the people who wrote that probably wrote a hand copy and then took the time yeah. to type it and then took the time to, you know, re rewrite it or put it in the mail and put a stamp on it and send it out. And now people just give a quick 
30 second, you know, thing on Twitter or something that those days of like thoughtful, uh, insightful comments are kind of gone. And I, um, I didn't have a lot of friends who read comics or so that was kind of my window into how the rest of the world viewed these issues or what they liked or what they didn't like. So yeah, that that's kind of funny. So thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean now, you know, if you, if you put on Facebook, I got a new puppy, you know, within, you know, six posts, you know, you're being called a racist or something. Well, for me, it's almost doing this podcast is almost, I feel like podcasts like this are, Becoming more important because of that, because for us, it's. I think it's you're a right. Way. Yeah, I think you're right. I've never yeah. thought that before, but you're right. It's. It, yeah. This is. The, this is precisely the kind of connection we have with the letter writers. Yeah, yeah, and for us, it's a, it's a, it's an opportunity to explore these books and talk about them with civil discourse, even if we don't like certain parts or do agree or don't agree. It's, it's kind of a, a better place to kind of talk and discuss about that, and and you know. And to have you on the show like that, I think, is is even better. And in, yeah, I, I think that's a pretty fascinating comparison. Uh, you were talking earlier about um, world building, and that's I think one of the coolest things about the Tim Drake character. Um, Tim ends up also having Stephanie Brown, which is a contribution from you. Um, she made her first appearance in the Shadow Box story, if I'm uh, remembering correctly, and I'm the issue number is blanking on me. Um, you know, she's introduced in that all of nightfall starts and then you kind of forget about her. And then she shows up in the Robin ongoing series that she was such an integral, integral part of, uh, Tim Drake's world. Can you talk about the creation of Stephanie Brown and spoiler and, um, kind of like what your overall plans for, her and, um, maybe you can kind of talk about her inevitable demise and then being brought into Batgirl and kind of what you thought about that. Well, they um, she was created simply as a plot device for a single arc. I, I wanted to do a story with Cluemaster uh, because I always thought Cluemaster was a loser character, and I wanted to do a story about just how big a loser he was. And because um, you know, it's like we already had the Riddler, Riddler's awesome. What do you need with mm-hmm. this guy? Mm-hmm. So, um, so I thought, well, what if he had a child, a rebellious child? And of course, how would a child of a supervillain? rebel she'd become a vigilante she'd become like a batman and you know obviously you know clue master's whole thing is clues well she's out there giving away the answers hence the spoiler uh so she was really only going to be in one arc and i really never thought about any plans beyond that (laughs) but then the letters started coming in and it wasn't we want to see more spoiler is when are we going to see more spoiler they were just assuming we had plans and so as we were building toward the Robin monthly, I thought, well, you know, he's got Ariana as a girlfriend, but let's have a triangle. Let's have another love interest because, you know, readers respond to that. You know, Betty and Veronica. Uh, it seemed like the simplest thing in the world. And then, and then it seemed even better because Ariana is like his normal, you know, everyday world love interest. Then he has one that's actually more in his world as Robin. Uh, so there would be this, this um, conflict. And, and then that he would try to resist with, with the spoiler. And then as I was writing more and more of Stephanie and coming up with her background, which is something I really didn't think of for the first arc, she came more and more alive in my mind. And of all the characters I've created for DCU, I think I had the most affinity for her. She seemed the most real. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I, and yes. I worked to try to make her real. I mean, she lived in lower middle income uh, home, uh, single mom, hardworking mom, working as a nurse, you know, trying to keep a house together, 
and, uh, you know, raise her daughter. And, you know, uh, Stephanie couldn't afford all the gadgets, you know. She ran around on a scooter or a dirt bike, you mm-hmm. know, because that's what she could afford. And she had to rebuild it herself with, like, the help of a neighborhood kid. You know, things like that. And then really thinking about what what's her world like and making sure that the, um, you know, that the artist knew she doesn't live in a Leave at the Beaver neighborhood. You know, she lives in, you know, two-bedroom, you know, houses, you know, um, you know, built in the 40s or something, you know, um, and, and really paying attention to that. You know, kind of thing. I mean, it's, it's the way I grew up. You know, I grew up in a row home. Hmm. You know, and my dad worked two jobs to keep. You know, so I related to all of that. And um, she seemed like a, a girl I went to high school with, in, in my mind. And so, that, you know, from there, uh, I initially had plans before I left DC that she would become Robin for six months. And uh, my big plan was that, you know, Tim would have have a like a, a disagreement with Batman over something. And basically quit being Robin and take a job as Blue Beetle. Because I don't know if you remember at oh. the time Ted Ted Cord had a had a very serious illness. And what oh, and yeah. the question the question I put forward was how long can he continue being Blue Beetle? And so Ted hires Tim at, at a salary to be Blue <laughs> wow. Beetle. And then offers him all of the stuff that Blue Beetle has. And then Tim realizes, you know, this is actually a better fit for me than Robin. Because this guy relies on technology and this, that, and the other, and it really and and really convinced the readers that this is for real. This is Tim Drake's going to quit. Yeah. And we were going to have a Blue Beetle miniseries, which Blue Beetle hadn't had his own standalone in a long time, that would run six months, and then at the end, of course, Tim would go back. And and but during that time, Stephanie would be Robin, uh, but Tim would eventually go back to being Robin. And and my thing to them was that at the end of it, you have Ted Cord realizes, hey, this thing with Tim worked out. Uh, what if I was the franchise Blue Beetle and have a Blue Beetle in wow. every city? <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I thought that hmm. launches your series, you know, and then you've got this background element of Ted Cord has this, you know, this disease that looks like he's not going to survive. And you have this whole thing. Well, is he going to die or are they going to find a cure? I said, it, it all just had everything built into it, but nobody, nobody at DC at the time liked Blue Beetle. <laughs> wow. And I would tell, I would tell all these different editors the, 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 my idea without, but who's the hero that Tim replaces? I'll tell you that at the end, and they would love <laughs> it. They say, "Okay, well, who's the hero who replace that Tim replaces at the end?" Yeah, the Blue Beetle. They went, "Ah, I hate Blue Beetle." Oh, and it would, it would oh, die really? right there. Hmm. No, but no, wow. nobody could see it but me, and that eventually, you know, led to me leaving DC because I'm like, if I can't get this, <laughs> I give up. Oh, that would have been so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So then, as you asked, they killed spoiler. Tortured. Yes. Know, yeah. Yes. Then you got to bring her back. <laughs> yeah. Then I got to bring her back. I, I swear I was list one. I I was up in New York for a different reason. Stopped in at DC to visit an editor, and you know, Dan the Dio comes up and goes, "Well, you want to write Robin for a while?" I'm like, yeah, "Okay." Just out of the blue, and then out of the blue, I was fired. <laughs> <laughs> that I hated that too. That, same here. I I remember, you know, I, after you left issue 100, I picked up a issue 101 back you know when i don't know if the internet was in its infancy but seeing somebody else's name on it going what happened to chuck dixon so seeing you uh get back on after uh, issue 70 and then writing stephanie brown again and kind of bringing her back that that made me feel like everything that kind of happened to stephanie that we were reintroduced and got her back again so i'm glad you uh, were able to return at least for for that long but uh, yeah. uh ryan did you have a Follow-up question? 
Yeah. I mean, first of all, about about that whole Robin Spoiler special stuff when you brought her back, I thought that was a pretty masterful piece of retroactive continuity. Like, you know, comics do it all the time, but I thought that was pretty creative to be able to use what they did to her and use it to bring her back and inform the character going forward. I thought that was really great. Um, but I, I did want to ask uh, a little bit more about Bane. Um because we we all know you're doing the new Bane uh, Conquest Maxi series, uh, and since Nightfall, uh, the character has kind of been constantly updated and reinterpreted, you know, with uh, in the comics and also in the films, like in The Dark Knight Rises. And uh, his Bane's portrayal in that movie uh, has already kind of trickled back into the comics, and you can even see that in other things, like in Le- the Lego Batman movie, he's he's kind of this amalgamation of like Dark Knight Rises Bane and comic book Bane, and and I'm wondering if the evolution of Bane since Nightfall has had any effect towards your approach in this new series you're doing. Well, basically, Graham and I are acting as if no time has passed. We just didn't. Like, we never stopped working on Bane. It's just yes. it's the Bane that we know, the classic Bane. You know, he's very much a Hispanic guy. I just did a show yesterday, and mm-hmm. um, this... Uh, you know, Cuban American family come up and they got an eight year old and the mother's going, ask him the question, ask him the question. <laughs> so you know how that is. And the kid says, why did you make Bane Hispanic? And I can see the suspicion in his eyes. Hmm. And I said, well, I thought it would make him a lot more interesting and more of a badass. <laughs> this kid just went, this kid got, kid got his big smile on his face and said, cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> So, you know, we're just back to where we were. We, we, uh, Bird, Trog, and Zombie are back, and uh, Bane's on his, uh, you know, his uh, quest to be number one, hence Conquest. He's going to, he, he, Gotham's too small for him. He's going to rise to the top of the uh, global uh, criminal underworld. And uh, being Bane, he's got all of his plans in place on how how to do it. And that got, that got me excited when I was reading. The upcoming that it's the whole gang back, not just Bane. Yeah. Because when I thought of Nightfall, I was like, oh, Bane has this plan and he breaks everybody out and all that. And as I reread it, I realized a lot of the stuff Bird came up with and a lot of the stuff his his gang came up with. And then after the whole Nightfall, they just kind of disappeared somewhat. So I'm I'm really excited to see the dynamic between them again. Yeah. Yeah. I well, I I had heard that you know they died somewhere in continuity that Bane had actually killed them, and I'm like, man, that shows no understanding. I mean, Bane, yeah, Bane is a is a son of a bitch, but you know, <laughs> these were his the only guys in the world that he might be able to call friends. And mm-hmm. in, in the Maxi series, we're, we're able to explore their the individual nature of his relationship with each one a lot more. Cool. Wow, uh, awesome. Bird, Bird is kind of his consigliere. You know, and Trog, we, we get to show, we show how he first met Trog um, and, and why they're so close. And, you know, I mean, he'll, he'll send them in somewhere where they're all likely to get killed, but he's not going to kill them himself because, you know, he's taking the same risks. But, yeah, we get to do a lot. There's, a, there's some funny stuff, not, you know, <laughs> episode of Friends funny, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but you know, darkly humorous Dark stuff. Yeah. Between, yeah, Remember that episode? Yeah. Remember that episode of Friends when Chandler broke Joey's neck? You know? <laughs> <laughs> like that. I miss that. Yeah, that is a very special episode. <laughs> yeah, on a special episode of Friends. Um, <laughs> I I believe this. If I'm understanding this correctly, this is also connected into the current uh, DC Rebirth uh, continuity that uh, King is currently writing uh, the I Am Bane story. So will this kind of dovetail out of that story and into your story? 
They tell me it will. I really don't know. They really didn't give us a lot of specifics. Our, our story kind of, it's, it's canon, but exists outside of continuity. By that I mean it, it, it doesn't impact any events going on in current Rebirth. It's like a, I, I refer to it as a spinoff. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's going off in its own thing. You know, is it almost and like, it uh, oh, sorry, is it almost like a, like another Vengeance of Bane, like special kind of deal? Yeah, 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 but it's taking place in real time in the DCU. And uh, they, they, you know, Bane will interact with two, you know, Batman-related characters uh, mm. early on in the Maxi series, and then, you know, he's interacting with obviously, you know, known or established uh, criminal conspiracies within the DCU. You know, um, you know, if you think of it, he's going to meet them. You know, you know, the, the, the outfits are already, mm-hmm. you know, villains are, are the heroes are hard time. He wants to be, he basically wants to run them. Be the CEO of global crime, but um, but yeah, it's it's kind of a spinoff. I mean, it's canon, it's in continuity, but it really doesn't intersect with continuity much, and we're we're uninterrupted by crossovers or events or anything. Yes, gotcha. (laughs) That's awesome. That's great. Uh, Can you talk about the uh, uh, creation of uh, Bane with uh, you, Doug, and uh, Graham? Is is there one individual that has? Hey, we need a new villain. It's this name, or do they say? create a villain and, and go from there. Like where, where does Bane begin? Well, we, we knew nightfall going in. We knew we want, Denny said, we have to create a new bad guy because we're going to come out of this with a new bad guy. Uh, that's that, that we wanted to have be memorable and all the rest of it. And, um, we went through the whole first nightfall summit, I mean, three days and then, and then another few months of writing. Um, you know, we went to the nightfall summit, but the nightfall stories didn't actually begin for a while. So, so we were talking about this stuff long before any indications mm-hmm. in the comics where there's going to be this big event coming, and um, so we we knew we knew we wanted the guy. Denny didn't like how Superman had just been killed by basically you know a, a giant space bug. You know, I mean, just yeah. a, a thug. You know, yeah. um, if Batman is going to be taken down, it's going to be by somebody special, and and it had to be hands on. So, so this guy had to be Batman's physical and intellectual equal. And, and the other thing that was built into it was that, that he was addicted to Venom, that Venom gave him his edge and his power. And, uh, that's what was going to allow him to beat Batman in a fight. So that's all we knew. And then it wasn't until months later we had another like mini summit that was just about this unnamed character. And, um, it, it, we, so at that summit, I was saying, you know, to make this whole Nightfall thing work, the readers have to respond to this guy. You know, he can't be just a one-off villain or just somebody they don't like, you know, or just a joke or goofy theme villain. I said, he's got to be somebody with some resonance and some legs. Otherwise, this whole thing's not going to work because he's so much a part of it. And I said, you know, that's, that's not easy to do, you know, to say, oh, this guy's got to be popular and then try to figure out what's in the recipe that makes him popular. I said, you can't just force readers to like somebody. And then he said, well, if you think it's so damn hard, you do it. And they sent me home to do it. <laughs> now, the guidelines I had was, what we discussed at the summit was that he would be basically an evil Doc Savage. And oh, okay. um, a self-made man like Batman. But he would have all these talents, and he would have a gang. that They wouldn't be nameless henchmen that he would have a gang that we would know, and they would be distinctive from each other and have their own personalities and their own relationship with Bane and with each other. So that was there. And then, and then what they sent me home with was the working name Doc Toxic. 
<laughs> so the first thing I did when I got home was open a Thesaurus. And I found Bane. And I, I called Scott Peterson and said, I want to call him Bane. And he goes, no, come up with a list of names. I said, no, it's going to be Bane. And he goes, but Bane, that's so simple. Nobody's going to remember that. It's too simple a word. And we don't like it. you know. And they kept calling and saying, come up with a list. Or we'll come up with a list, too. And I said, no, it's going to be Bane. I said, just give it a few days. Let it roll around in your head for a while. And then they just started calling him Bane. So there was no decision made. They just simply started referring to the guy as Bane. And, um, and from there, I built on, um, well, Venom. Where would he have run into Venom? And, well, it would be on Santa Prisca where the Venom experiments were being done in Denny's run on uh, mm-hmm. Venom run on uh, Legends of Dark Knight. Yeah. I said, well, if he's in prison in Santa Prisca, he's a prisoner they're experimenting on, well, he'd be Hispanic. And that's cool because we, we, I couldn't think of another Hispanic villain other than maybe what, what they have, the tarantula over at Spider-Man. Yeah. I couldn't think. There just aren't that many. I thought, well, that would make him really cool. That would make him interesting. And and then I was talking to Graham Nolan, and he came up, well, if he's Hispanic, let's have him dressed as a luchador wrestler. I thought, well, that's a cool look. That's that's cool. And then from there, I thought, well, what makes this guy sympathetic? You know, he's just a prisoner picked out of a cell. I mean, what would make him cool? And I thought, what if he was serving his father's life sentence? And we never know who his father is. We just know that he's born, literally born in prison to serve a life sentence. I thought, man, that gives him all the sympathy in the world because ultimately this is an innocent. You know, no matter how big a monster this guy becomes, he did. It's not his fault. You know, he was created to be big. So and so, um, just went flying from there. I just worked with Graham on the first Vengeance of Pain, and that's what we came up with. And I had a sorry, Rob. I just thought of something real quick because I know um, before Bane there was a Legends of the Dark Knight series called Venom, where the Venom right. was yeah. introduced. Was that taken um, and said, "Hey, let's use this for Bane," or was that series specifically made to then go into Bane later on? No, Denny just wrote that series and then wanted it to be a part of Nightfall. Be the basis. Okay, cool. You know, he liked the idea. I think he liked. It. I think he introduced Venom into the DCU as something that a criminal could use to amp themselves up. And then he thought, well, let's use it on this guy. Cool. Uh, so that that was, you know, that was part of it going into it. That's and, awesome. Did you, um, all these elements you're talking about the character? I I just kind of wonder in the what your thoughts were of Bane in the Dark Knight Rises. Do you think they took enough elements from him to, to interpret them into a film? You know, but they also added some extra elements like uh, having him be part of the League of Shadows and stuff like that too. But took away things well, they, they, like Venom explicitly. Yeah, well, they they, they made him a badass. You know, they made him frightened, which, okay, mm-hmm. that that's all cool. And they made him a chess player. He really was intellectual. You know, mm-hmm. he really, I mean, he he beat everybody. You know, uh, I find the way that they end up beating him was so contrived it was ridiculous. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. how many months later and the cops emerge from the sewer, their, their, their clothes are still pressed? Their faces are still shaved. Uh, my favorite scene is um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt lowering Chinese takeout down a manhole. <laughs> and then he says, "He says I'll be back more with later. I'll be back later with more. Yeah. And it's like, how many cops are down there? I mean, you're going to need, well, was it takeout dinner for 3000 You know, so, um, so yeah, but, you know, they showed him as a badass. They showed him as a chess player, an intellectual. And they made him a household name for, for that. I'll thank them. The whole yeah. painkiller thing I didn't get. I didn't understand. How would that give you an edge? I mean, isn't that a disability, disability that, you know, you, mm-hmm. 
you're in this constant pain and you need to be taking this drug, you know, how could you keep your mind clear on these, these powerful painkillers that apparently you had to take to get over this incredible pain that he was in? I didn't quite get all that. And seeing your tweet earlier of the uh, uh, greatest uh, Batman villains that uh, Joel Schumacher uh, was listed <laughs> as as number one, um, I think everybody we know how people feel about uh, the Schumacher version of Bane. But but what did you think about seeing that your creation was going to grace the silver screen for the first time, and then this is the bomb? monkey version of Bane that we're left with until the Dark Knight Rises. Well, it was kind of exciting when they told us about it. And then I said, well, who's going to play him? Oh, it's a guy named Jeep Swanson. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> no, seriously, who's going to play him? So, yeah, I mean, um, the the funny thing was is that the, the when it came out, uh, Graham and I were in San Diego at San Diego Con, and we went two different nights to see it at a multiplex. And each time we got up to the ticket office and said, I said, do you really want to see this? He goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> we go see something else. <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> Two nights in a row. I think we saw a hard target and face off. <laughs> <instead> of <laughs> Batman and Robin. Cause we just could we didn't want to sit in a theater for two hours cringing. Cause we, we I, it's a shame because the trailer looks so promising with him deadlifting the bat signal. I mean, that was such an awesome mm-hmm, scene. Yeah. 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 Wasted, it's wasted in that movie. The only other thing in that movie that is cool, there's a line there I wish I'd written where, where Arnold says that everything in the universe freezes. I thought that that's there's one constant in the universe that everything freezes. Everything freezes. That could have been yeah, but yeah. but the rest of it, it's like, oh my god. <laughs> and, and you know, a Schumacher, you know, the way he treated Riddler, oh jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we don't want to keep you too, too long because we could like talk to you for the next 15 years. But I did want to ask you um, a question, um, and I wish I knew where I read this. I read this way back in the 90s. I feel like it was something in DC Comics, but it, it may not have been. But it was an interview with you, and you had mentioned that um, they're talking about your writing style. And you had said, I always start with action, action right away. And then when I, I started reading – Kind of that kind of stuck in my head. And I was like, yeah, Chuck Dixon comic. Like those first three pages are going to just like punch you in the face. Like they're they just suck you in. And when I read a comic now that starts off really slow and is like three pages of just you know recap, I'm like, this guy needs to talk to Chuck Dixon. And um, I I started reading your your novel uh, Cannibal Gold. I download on Amazon, and I would just say to um, any of, of the fans of the comics to get the novels because the novels are. Are like that as well, and I, I just wondered where did you um, come up with that idea of start off right away with action, and um, was it harder to start off with action in a, a prose in a novel as a, as opposed to a comic? Well, in prose, you just start out with that that first few sentences, you know, um, and and just fly from there, you know, and you know all the great crime fiction I've ever read, you know, did that, you know, they, they intrigue you and there's a little bit of action. You know, a little something to create tension right from the first sentence and curiosity about the character. So, um, I always, there's the novel, uh, Postman always rings twice. The, the lead, it's told in the first person. The first line is, you know, they threw me off the hay truck around noon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. What did this guy have to do to get thrown off a hay truck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're, and that's it. You're, you're, 
you're not getting up till you find out everything about him. And, um, you know, opening with action to me, uh, I was a student of comics, you know, I read millions of them when I was a kid and, and studied them. And the ones that always sucked me in the most was Kirby's fantastic four. It mm-hmm. always opened big, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, by big, I mean it could be anything. And, and the one I always remember is um, Johnny and Ben are chasing a, a dinosaur. A dinosaur is loose <laughs> in the Baxter building, and they're chasing it. You know, yeah. and and Sue's in the background worried about the furniture. And it's like, how can you not read the rest of the story? <laughs> yeah. And it comes out of nowhere. It had nothing to do with the previous issue. And I thought, well, that man, that's how you begin a, a comic book story. And I I just stuck with that. And then. Um, like 10 years ago, I read a book called The Immediate Experience by Robert Warshaw. And he's the first intellectual who wrote about comics. He wrote about comics in the 50s. He wrote about all kinds of pop culture, westerns, crime stories, and and, and he wrote about comics. And he didn't like comics, but, but his son read them. And so he would read them to see, well, why does he like them? And he said he that, that comics are attractive because they are an immediate experience. Mm-hmm. They don't make you wait. Novels yeah. make you wait. TV shows make you wait. Movies make you wait. Comics don't. There's something to delight, or should be if you're doing them right. There's, there's something to delight on every page and every panel. Something to draw your eye, because that's what comics are. It's a totally visual, seductive medium that, that will draw you in, you know, if, if you allow it, and, and if the people are doing the right thing. And so he just articulated what basically what I knew since I was a kid, that, that every, every page has to be a wow. And that is yeah. certainly every opening up a while because why? Because it, you know, back when I was a kid, you didn't know what comics were coming out. You went to the spin rack, you looked at the cover. Hey, that looks pretty cool, and you always open it to look at the first page. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and that first page is was that's what sold you. Yeah, because the cover, you know, I learned from Superman comics, the cover could be anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Nothing like that in here. You know, Jimmy's not a werewolf. What, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have a one. Uh follow-up question here to kind of bring it back to uh, uh, to Tim Drake. So something we, we've been saying on on the show is Tim's kind of gotten the unfair shaft in the uh, latter part of the DC through the New 52 and had a really great arc with uh, James Tiny, and now he's kind of trapped in this limbo thing. Something we keep saying, man, it would just be great to see Chuck Dixon uh, write Tim Drake again. Do you, do you ever feel like you want to revisit the uh, Tim Drake character again? Yeah, as long as it was significant. I mean, I, they, I was invited to revisit Bane a few times over the past few years, but always refused because it was always like a one-off thing. Oh, yeah. I thought if I come back, I, I'm not doing nostalgia tours. If I come back, it's going to be a real gig. You know, it's going to gotcha. be mm-hmm. something significant. And um, and you know, yeah, if they were to if if they were to talk to me about a Tim Drake thing and it was something significant, not just you know a one-off or a stunt. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I love these characters. You know, I could get back in their heads in, in, in 10 seconds. Well, cool. Uh, Chuck, we love having you on. Like Terrence said, we could keep you here at Schalke for the next four hours asking questions. But uh, what other projects uh, do you have going on uh, outside of Bane and DC Comics? And if uh, people kind of want to see your work, where can they uh, get a hold of you? Well, well, as you kindly mentioned, as you folks kindly mentioned, I do uh, write novels. I have a series called Bad Times about time traveling U.S. Army Rangers. I have a series called Levon Cade. It sort of scratches my Punisher itch. It's about, you know, vigilante justice stuff, you know, tough guy stuff. They're available on Amazon uh, in Kindle or paperback. Uh, I also do a weekly uh, a weekly comic strip for Agar Race Bros Incorporated, uh, Pellucidar, based on the At the Earth's Core series. It's been running for about 
three, four years now. And uh, got a bunch of stuff coming up in addition to Bane. Um, I got to create our own comic toward the end of the year. Staying busy. Just did a just nice. did a graphic novel for the United States Navy that I'm real proud of. Oh, cool. That'll be out sometime, like maybe this year or next year at this same time. Excellent. We so. r- really appreciate you being on. Ryan or Terrence, do you have any uh, final uh, thoughts or questions for uh, Chuck? No, I just want to say thank you. I mean, for for countless hours of enjoyment reading your work, it's it's. My wife isn't too happy because of all the long boxes of comics I got around the house, but <laughs> but I loved it. So thank you so much. Yeah. Well, I'll say uh, uh, you're welcome, and I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, I just want to thank you too, Chuck, and just getting to read. Because for me, a lot of these uh, '90s comics, like I, you know. I was I was a kid. I'm I'm 29 right now. So when Nightfall came out, I was a little too young to read it. Although I knew what was going on, you know, Azrael Batman was my first Batman when I picked up a comic book. And for me now, it's great to go back and really just try to relive that and experience all that. And uh, it's been it's been fascinating to me. So I really appreciate it. Oh no, I, I appreciate this. This was a lot of fun. Well, thank you very much, sir. Uh, the only thing that would have made this cooler if I had met you at a con, I get to set down Robin uh, one in front of you and uh, have you autograph it. But this is this has been the next best thing. So uh, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule, and uh, it, it really means a lot to the three of us. Oh, terrific! And feel free to call me again. I'd love to come back. Cool. We we would love Sounds to have great. you on, and maybe it'd be kind of cool to have you come on the capacity where we kind of maybe review one of your uh, Robin comics together. That'd be kind of cool to do. Sure. sure. I'll pull one down off the shelf. We'll do it. Cool. All right. cool. Sounds yeah. great. Thank right. you very much for your time, sir. All right. Thank you. Yep. Bye-bye. All right. All right. <laughs> I, I, I Isn't that awesome? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm, I'm tongue tied. I was, I had, had a list of questions there in front of me. I just kind of got captivated in, in, uh, and listening to him talk, um, he could he could not have been nicer, oh, cooler, and nope. yep. more serious about the work. And that, his, yes, his, his memory to recall stuff that he created, you know, twenty five years ago, and then it's not like oh Stephanie Brown, yeah, I want I wanted Robin to have a blonde chick or something like it's it's I mean it was so well thought out and so intellectualized the comics, and it's probably why they stand the test of time today so yeah rob thank you so much for uh reaching out and setting that up because he was that was fantastic yeah yeah Yeah. i able to talk about everything like pretty much everything and and i loved how much variety we had in the conversation too and to pick his brain on pretty much (laughs) everything it was awesome yeah, definitely. And I'm as I'm I'm sending him uh, a message. He sent one back. Says thank you very much for having me on. I had a great time. Yeah, I think that's the biggest point that he had uh, made through this is he, he kind of answered the question of like, well, when's there going to be a Robin series? He he knew that he had to to build the world, and if he was also doing that world building in Nightwing and in, in Batgirl and, and Catwoman, that. He there were supporting characters for each of those, like you said, Terrence. He took it so, so very serious, and he pointed out something exactly that we see the contrary a lot of times in comics that he didn't want to do anything to date it. You know, here we are twenty years later talking about Tim Drake, and it still feels very much as that character could still exist in you know twenty sixteen, other than the occasional third base or Prince reference, <laughs> you know, throw yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, this is going to be part one 
of our 50th uh, show celebration. The original show was going to be Justin from uh, Batman on Film. We were trying to get that put Who? together. Oh, oh, I got I was, you. I was being mean to Justin. So <laughs> okay, yeah. See what we, uh, some injured. some dude. <laughs> uh, our our favorite Robin stories, and then um, I had sent this out to uh, Chuck Dixon through Facebook, and I think a couple weeks had gone by, and thought, well, that's probably not going to happen. I wasn't even sure how to get a hold of him, and he ended up. Um, sending me a message back, and I've been emailing him, so it was kind of surreal going back and forth. So the next episode, 52, we will have Justin on here from Let's Go uh, Podcast and Batman on Film. We'll be talking about our favorite Robin stories, and that'll be coming up in in a couple weeks. Um, Any final thoughts you guys have here before we sign off on uh, this episode at all, Uh, Terrence? Yeah, you know, I was most surprised when he said that they were pushing a monthly Robin title on him and he kept saying no 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 I want to just just do a mini series because I thought it was the opposite I thought DC didn't yeah. have faith in the character enough to publish a um a monthly and thought oh the the mini series sales were just a fluke let's see what happens if there's another one or another yeah. one so that was really cool and the fact that um he had said that it was their plan from the start to have a new villain and a new guy Bane and that I guess put to rest some of the rumors about it originally yeah. wanting to be KG Beast, or if that was, that was in the incredible infancy. Yeah. 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 So I, th- I found those really in- interesting. Uh, Ryan. Yeah. No, just hearing all those stories was just, I'm sure, ho- hopefully it was a good fun for him to be able to recount a lot of that because it was, I think a lot of you guys, listeners, are going to are gonna get a lot of, hopefully you just enjoyed it listening to it because for us, I know that we all really appreciate him coming on the show and doing this because it's, you know, he's such a big part of that entire era of Batman, you know, Bane, Stephanie Brown, Tim Drake, Robin, and all the books that he wrote. Like it's, he's, he's one of the great Batman writers and it just to be able to have him on the show, I think was absolutely great. Yeah. Um, and just the, the pivotal stories that were written. I mean, in Batman circles, I mean, he even said himself that the Nightfall was probably one of the, one of the biggest you know Batman yeah. things to kind of happen, and that's one yeah, of those that I, it does. I don't think it gets the love and the attention that it that it should. Yeah, no, it was. I loved hearing him talk that that lovingly about Nightfall because to me, I, I wondered like what he thought about it. Like, what he what did he like what he did, or was it like, well, I was had to kind of was forced into doing this rigid, you know, this miniseries in a certain way, but he. To hear him be like, yeah, that was really important and it was really good and everybody was changed after it. And just to hear how much, you know, like Terrence was saying, how invested he was in the work itself is is really refreshing. And it's it's one of those things like, you know, you meet one of your heroes and he turns out to be even better than you imagine. <laughs> and, and that's great because yeah, when, we, yeah. when we read the comics, you know, we can – we can keep that in mind. So I think that's awesome. Yeah, definitely. But I, I loved his I loved his comment that Azrael's basically Danny O'Neill's personality. Yes. <laughs> you, you, no, no, no. That no, is so I, interesting. That's, yeah. that's funny in some ways, but that's very interesting to me in other ways, you know, because Danny O'Neill, I think, is a, another really interesting person, and, you know, hopefully we can get him <laughs> sometime. <laughs> I would love to, I would love to talk to him about yeah. some, about some Azrael, actually, so... Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, this is three very happy podcasters 
um, here on the show. Uh, again, uh, thank you, Mr. Chuck Dixon, for uh, taking time uh, to do the show. Um, and we will see you guys in a couple weeks here on the Batman universe, and more importantly, on Robin. Everyone loves Chuck Dixon. I mean the Drake. <laughs> we will see you guys next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake Comic Podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all related Batman characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for your entertainment purposes. There is no money exchanging hands at any time for any reason. I can't even find a quarter underneath my keyboard. So no infringement is intended by the show. This also applies to all music and sound clips as well. So there should be no need for you to send Lex Luthor's lawyers after us. That would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. You can now get a hold of the show in a few different ways now. The most recent is on Twitter. We are at ELTD Podcast. You can also now get a hold of us via email. It only took me two years to get one. So if you want to email in, you can do so at Robin, ELTD Podcast, at Yahoo.com. Our Facebook page can be found at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. And we are also on YouTube. In the search engine in YouTube, just type in Robin, everyone loves the Drake, and it'll take you to our YouTube page. And as always, you can message directly over at the Batman Universe website. So email, tweet, message us. We'd love to hear from you, and we will read your comments on the air. The show that you're listening to can be found a few different ways through iTunes, Windows Media, and over at our host site, The Batman Universe. Leave us a review on iTunes if you listen there. It will help spread the word of the show. Make sure you head over to thebatmanuniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thanks for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We will see you in a few weeks. Take care.